The book of Proverbs tells us anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down. Anxiety, stress, worry. These are the problems of the ages. Always have been. But there's a real relevance now, isn't there? A real relevance to where we are today. We stress and worry about everything. You only have to look around at the number of psychologists. Their business is booming. In my job, I see it frequently. People are stressed. And we see it result in things like road rage. We see it come out in violent outbursts in shops. We see and hear confrontations everywhere we go. I recently heard on the radio that people are worried about their children getting into the right high school. This is why they are pregnant, before their children are born. Then there are things that we personally stress about. The things we stress about in our day-to-day lives. You stress and worry because that child you always wanted to have has not come. You stress and worry because you wanted a partner for your life. And it hasn't happened. You're still single. And you think you've missed a boat. You stress and worry about the job you have or the job you don't have. You stress and worry about the job you want to get in the future. You stress and worry about your exams, wasting time at home worrying about it instead of meeting with God's people in God's house. What's all this stress and worry all about? What's the answer to it all? Is there a way out? Can we use the Bible like a giant stress ball? Well, tonight we're going to continue on in our series on Philippians. And, and we have reached the final chapter, chapter 4. The page numbers for, our, for the Philippians tonight is 832 in the small print and 1829 in the large print. And we're going to look at this question of anxiety and stress. But first, why don't we pray and ask God to help us? Dear God, please help us to think through this issue of stress as we look at your word tonight. Help us to focus our thoughts on you and to find the answers for our life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we notice in chapter 4 is Paul once again telling the Philippians how much he loves them. He calls them his joy and his crown. And he wants them to stand firm not to be worried, not to be anxious and divided. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And then, Paul introduces us to some real people. Just as an aside, one of my favourite parts of the Bible is meeting real people, seeing real events. The Bible is not full of mystical writings and allegorical nonsense. It gets dirty and it becomes tangible and meaningful. And in this case, it tells us of troubles, problems between two people, Euodia and Syntyche. They are for some reason having a dispute. We don't know what the dispute is. In fact, the actual dispute is fairly irrelevant. It could be anything. What it does tell us, though, is it appears to be threatening the peace and harmony of the Philippian church. So Paul says, I want you to agree with each other 
in the Lord. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 2. Chapter 4 and verse 2. I plead with you, Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche, to agree with each other in the Lord. Well, what's Paul saying here? He's saying, don't let your relationships with each other result in you getting worried and stressed. Don't let your anger with other Christians result in disunity and in fighting and in strife. He says, agree together in the Lord. So, so what does it mean to agree together in the Lord? Does it mean that we all have to think the same way? We had a federal election recently and apparently many of you voted the incorrect way. Should we all vote the same way? If we were agreeing in the Lord, would we all be voting for the fishing and shooting party? Well, it's not saying that, is it? It says agree in the Lord. Three little words which change the phrase. Well, it then becomes about gospel issues. Paul says earlier in the letter that we should be like-minded, having the same love and being unified in spirit and in purpose. Being of one mind in the Lord is part of the whole theme of the letter. It's part of being Christ-like. It's part of serving Christ. We need to be of one mind in Christ. I mean, you can't expect us to be joyful, peaceful, loving and united if we can't agree on the central thing that makes us and gives us joy, peace, love and unity. So he encourages these two ladies to be of one mind in the Lord. And does then he stop there and, and move on? Well, no, he doesn't. In fact, what he does is he brings in the rest of the flock. He doesn't isolate them from the rest of the church community. There's an old adage which says, it is the village which raises a child. It's also true saying that we become stronger in our Christian faith through being raised in strong Christian community. Paul says to the Philippian church, hey, you've got some great ladies here. Help them grow in Christ. Look with me at chapter 4 and verse 3. Chapter 4 and verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So what's this saying to us? Well, firstly, it's saying we need to be involved in each other's life to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to help one another, to be there for one another in good times and in bad. Secondly, it's saying what you think of that person is going to affect how you relate to them. If you're thinking unloving thoughts about someone else, if you're thinking angry thoughts about another person, then it's going to impact your relationship. And it won't stop with that person going to affect the whole body we need to be forgiving and we need to be loving and we need to amend the way we think about others you know I'm not aware of any broken relationships in our church family I'm not aware of any people harboring bitter resentment and anger against another person but if you're there if you are stressed and angry about what others think and what others are doing you need to sort that out. You need to talk to someone. You need to forgive the person. You need to resolve that. 
Because we need to be a unified body together. We need to see each other through the eyes of Christ. You want to reduce anxiety and stress in your life? You need to see people through the eyes of Christ. You need to see the fellow members of your Christian community with the love of Christ. You need to help each other grow in Christ. Paul then says some extraordinary things in relation to stress and anxiety. He tackles it head on and he takes it in a way we would never think of. He says we need to rejoice in the Lord and not stress over our problems. He says we need to be gentle and not be angry and violent. And he says that rather than worry, we need to talk to God in prayer. And he says if we do all this, we will have a peace that is beyond anyone's understanding. A real, genuine, deep peace. Look with me at verses 4 through 7. It's chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot in there. And let's try and, and work through it all. Now, we all have problems and stresses and anxieties in our life. I've thought long and hard about this. But I do want to tell you my story. Not to take away from the passage, but to highlight how much joy and peace found in these words and so I'm going to take you back to a decision I made when I was 18 it was May 1st 1985 I'd just finished year 12 some 5 months before I'd not passed and I was looking for employment I was living in country Victoria unemployment was quite high at that time there wasn't many prospects I was living at home, really wasn't doing much at all. It was about 10 in the morning. I was standing in the kitchen of my house. I looked out the window and I saw my father's work car in the driveway. I saw my father heading into the garage. And I said to myself, I should go out and say hello, see what he's doing. Instead, I sat down in the lounge. Very small decision. That was the last time I saw my father. In fact, it was the last time anyone saw my father. He drove away and I never saw him again. He disappeared. For 48 days, we didn't know where he was. We didn't know anything. We didn't hear anything. And then one night in June, I looked out the window and I saw a police car coming in the front gate. And I knew my father was gone. He'd taken his car, driven it in the bush, taken a hose which he'd got out of the garage, and he gassed himself. And he was dead. And I thought I could have stopped him. I believed, because I didn't go outside, that I was guilty. I thought I had condemned my father to hell. 
I lived for years with this anxiety and this fear and this worry. So what's Paul going to tell me from this passage? And what's Paul going to tell you? What's he going to say to you about the years of desperation you've had wanting a child? For the times you've cried out in the shadows of your loneliness, looking for someone to share your days and your nights, to comfort you in your dark times. What's Paul going to tell you when you hate your job and the years ahead just seem one endless road and you just can't find anything that satisfies? What's Paul going to tell you when the exams and the assignments are building up and you can't seem to cope and there's no way out? What's he going to say when when you have no idea about what you want to do with your life and everyone says you need to be making those decisions now? You can't even make up your mind what you want for lunch. And And that future, that future that's ahead of you just seems frightening. And deep inside, when you really admit it, you are terrified of living a meaningless existence. What's he going to tell you when you know you've lived more years than you have left? And you look back on your life and it just seems so empty. And you have to face your your eternal destiny and judgment. And you're just terrified of death. What does Paul tell us all? He says, rejoice. Rejoice. It almost seems offensive, doesn't it? In our suffering and a tragedy, Paul says, cheer up. Well, it's not quite like that, though, is it? In fact, Paul says to rejoice in the Lord. It's not a random act of cheering. It is just like the unity which comes in the Lord. You can't rejoice in your circumstances. You can't rejoice over an uncertain future. But there is someone and something you can rejoice in. You can rejoice in the Lord. You can rejoice in the gospel. You can say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You have to decide whether you're going to wallow in the anxiety or rejoice in the Lord. This is important. You can't be a Christian and not be joyful about the gospel. You can't live in Christ without being joyful. You can't be a sour lemon Christian. You can't be a grumpy old Christian. It doesn't take away the pain or the grief, but it gives you a foundation to bear your grief upon. How can you live in the horror of your own grief and doubt and anger without Christ? And then Paul says, be gentle. Don't be angry. Don't attack people. Don't take your problems out on others. Again, you have a decision. You can decide to follow Christ and let his love flow through you or you can be angry and blame others and act bitter towards others. Your anxiety will not help you. It doesn't change your circumstances. What can change is your attitude. When you love Christ and let that love flow through you, you can forgive and move on. And sometimes you'll even need to forgive someone who's no longer with you. I did. Maybe you do too. And then Paul says, stop worrying. Stop being anxious. Stop focusing on the problems and focus on God. How? Well, by the simplest solution of all. The one we often turn to last instead of first. Prayer. Talking to God. Tell God how you're feeling, because you know what? He knows anyway. Seek God. Pray. Dear God, I'm so worried about this situation. 
There doesn't appear to be any way out. God, help me not to understand, but to turn to you. Thank you, God, for saving me, for setting me free. I worship you, God. I turn to you and on you go. You change the way you're thinking to God thinking. You worship God instead of being worried about things. There's an old song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. It goes on to say, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You have to realise something. In your life, whether in the past, in the present or in the future, for as long as you live on this earth, you will have problems. You'll have seasons of grief, you will have sickness, you will have troubles. You'll have issues with people and with places, with work. But it's not about the problems. It's how you think about it. How you think about these problems will mean you're having anxiety or you're having peace. Don't think on the problems. Don't dwell on the problems. Don't meditate on the problems. So what should we be thinking about? Look with me at chapter 4 and verse 8. Chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, this verse has always been a bit of a mystery for me. I'm not someone who automatically thinks of of lovely things. I used to call this the Care Bears verse. You know, the things about thinking about soft, cuddly things. The saccharine, not the serious. It's not that, is it? And it's not something that you can hold different opinions over either. It can't be something I think is wonderful and you think is horrible, and vice versa. It has to be something which is an ultimate standard for all these adjectives. It has to be Jesus. It has to be the gospel. It has to be God thinking. Now we're going to talk about God thinking, but I just want to clarify something first. It is God thinking. It is gospel thinking. It doesn't mean that you're thinking about, every, about the gospel to the exclusion of all else. I mean, can you imagine it? Hey, what do you want for lunch? My food is the gospel. Well, you have to eat. Or, you know, you go to school and say, hey, did you do your maths homework? Huh, for me, one plus one equals two ways to live. Well, you have to think thoughts about, about life. You have to live. So when I'm talking about God thinking in this, this area, I'm talking about what centres and guides and shapes your thinking. It's about what you're meditating on. It's about what you're thinking about. It's about what you're thinking about when your mind drifts away and you're not thinking about anything at all. It's not watching the news and current affairs shows and getting angry and afraid. It's not watching the soaps and the sitcoms and seeing their worldview of morality as normal. It is thinking God thoughts. It's not being anxious about whatever situation is in your life and obsessing over it. It is thinking God's ways. What Paul is saying is we should be thinking and meditating on the gospel of Jesus because that is something that is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy and excellent. And Paul continues on in the next verse, from mind to action. Paul says, what I have taught you, 
what you see in me, what you've heard me say, act on it in your daily life. Live like that. Practice that. Now this flows on directly from what you should be thinking on. It is saying, you think about something and then you act it out. Well, what's Paul's life? He lived and breathed the gospel. His whole life is gospel-centered. He has Christ at the beginning, the middle, and the end of his thinking and his actions. Look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What happens when you meditate on Christ and the gospel and then live it? The same thing as when you are united in Christ, rejoicing in Christ, and praying instead of being anxious. The God of peace is with you. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Put God's words into action. Love and not hate. Tell people about the love of Jesus and and don't spend time in malicious gossip. Change the way you're thinking about that problem. If your mind is focused on garbage, then your heart will be filled with garbage. Garbage flows from your life. You have no peace, no joy, but rather disunity, anxiety and misery. If you meditate on the things of Christ and you live your life for Christ, then you'll have joy, you'll have unity, you'll have peace. Real, lasting peace, which passes all of our understanding. What you think about will make your life polluted or it will make it pure. So where are you tonight? Are you trapped in grief and anger over something? Are you anxious because you're single? Are you worried about those exams? Are you stressed over your future? Are you contaminating your life with a negative thought life? Turn it around. Think on the gospel. Dwell on Jesus. Meditate on the love, mercy and grace of Christ. And be a Psalm 1 Christian and ground yourself in the word of God. Be a Romans 12 Christian and let the word of God shape your mind and your actions and don't let the world squeeze you into its mould. Change the way you think and change the way you live. For me... I look forward to a day where I can dance in the light of God's glory with my Father. Until then, I'm going to do what the songwriter Don Moen says. And I'm going to finish with these words. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died for us and that he set us free. Help us to be united in Christ, to rejoice in Christ, to turn to you when we need help. Help us to be gospel-centered, to be gospel-minded and act with the gospel in our hearts. Help us not to complain, but to live a life where we live with your joy and your peace flowing out of us and infecting others with you. May our lives bring glory to your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.